Welcome back to the Healthcare Insight Podcast. I'm Eric Silverman. And I'm Jane Crosby. Thanks for joining us again. It was a fun week. We got to talk to Chris Boyer. He's doing some really interesting stuff. He just joined not too very long ago, Beth Israel Leahy Health, uh, but also, of course, has the Touchpoint podcast series. It was a really fun conversation. Yeah, it was great. I've known Chris for a long time and have learned a lot from him over the years as I've been in, in healthcare marketing, and it was great to have him on. Yeah, as you said, he talked about a lot of fun stuff. One of the things I really, really enjoyed talking to Chris about was the balance of creativity and data-driven decision-making in healthcare marketing and, and marketing in general, really. I think I think it's a really fun topic. And I, I got to admit, you know, part of part of my thinking on this subject, when I think about campaign work, for example, on paid advertising. It's not always the prettiest picture that gets you the click or gets you the best result. And, you know, Chris talks so much about kind of structured and unstructured data and how he uses that in the marketing piece that this kind of where the pendulum falls from a philosophical standpoint, it's always on my mind. But I thought he answered it really elegantly. No spoiler alert here, but but I thought he had a really, really fun perspective. It was good to talk about. Yeah, and a lot of it connects back to his view that healthcare marketing isn't really marketing anymore. We touch so many different areas of the consumer experience and clinical operations, really, in a lot of ways, too. Um, so it, it was a fun interview. I did like what we talked about when it comes to integrating B2B and B2C marketing mm. specifically. That's something I think a lot of healthcare organizations struggle with because on the surface, I think a consumer audience, uh, corporate audiences, physicians, et cetera, all look so different. But we really do have to think about how a piece of content can connect with each one of those and engage with each one. I agree with that. I mean, you know, so much of it from a content point of view is often about literacy level too, right? Like content that we serve up to make extremely accessible to everyone. You know, if you're not careful, it can alienate some of your um, audiences, maybe, you know, for lack of a better phraseology, some of your more sophisticated audiences. But I do think that there's a, a great balance to be found there. So speaking about the, the evolution of marketing, one of the things that we talked about was personalization. And you and Chris got to riff about this a little bit. Talk to us about your point of view. My view is that personalization is, is really, really challenging in healthcare, and I haven't seen many organizations really get it right. And I think Chris said it too, that Amazon is, is the one to look to. But I think personally, it can be really condescending when a healthcare system tells you what they think you want from their website, because usually they're not quite there. And it can be a really frustrating experience to then try to navigate to what you actually are looking for. I've always thought it could be really isolating too. You know, this idea of if you're getting this really personalized experience, you end up in kind of a singular tranche of content that you get from any organization, which can be to the exclusion of a lot of other points of interest as well. And I think that's a really kind of cautionary tale for those of us in healthcare marketing in particular. Yeah, I totally agree. A really fun interview. We hope you guys enjoy listening as much as we enjoyed hosting us. Let's get into our discussion with Chris Boyer. Chris Boyer, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me, Jane and Eric. I really appreciate being here today. It's a, I've been listening to your show, obviously, since the onset. So I'm excited to and flattered that you asked me to be part of it today. 
We are flattered that you that you took the opportunity to join us. We're obviously both uh, fans of of your work and and, and your your podcast as well. So it's great to be together. Look at us joining forces here today. So exactly. So this should be the most downloaded episode ever. Ever. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's our, that, that's our goal. That's our goal. Well, so, so talk to us about about what's what's going on with you. Well, yeah, um, we were just talking about this prior to recording, but yeah, I took on a new position with a, a large health system in the Boston area, the Eastern Massachusetts area, really, because it extends both north and south of the Boston metro area. That's Israel Leahy Health. I'm their VP of digital marketing, as well as marketing strategy. So kind of the intersection of the MarTech technology approaches, and as well as research and understanding our customers better, which I think is a kind of a nice little uh, nexus of, of, uh, of, of information that we can, that we, that I can bring to the organization. So. It's a wonderful, wonderful nexus of, of, of perspective, I'm sure. You know, when I think about kind of the traditional research dimension of healthcare, and then I think about digital marketing, I'm kind of imagining this perfect mind meld of real-time kind of perspective coming from the market that you can then digest and turn into insights. Like, talk to us about the, the how a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there is certainly a deliberate um, uh, initiative on our part to kind of understand uh, the 360 degree voice of the customer in everything that we do. So that's kind of our guiding light around the marketing research. And you're right, it is traditionally not something that uh, a digital guy would, would normally do. But in this particular case, uh, it gives us a great uh, opportunity to not only go out there and do qualitative and quantitative research to understand our marketplace, to understand our brand, obviously, but also get into things like what are consumers, you know, what are drivers of choice with our customers, um, understand exactly how they're utilizing various different touch points within our organization, not just digital front doors, but also, you know, traditional front doors, and together bring that to sort of a and uh, an approach towards um, user experience design, honestly, with our marketing outreach, as well as our service line builds. And so I'm doing some really interesting work in that regard. And, um, you know, it'd be interesting, you know, it's really interesting to, to see the opportunity of like saying, well, this is what we understand our market to do, and then build the digital tools and infrastructure in place so that we can actually measure if that's exactly what they do or not, and use all of that information kind of in a holistic way to help um, propel and elevate us. Sounds like a really exciting opportunity, Chris. I am curious at like a big picture level, you've had a great career spanning agency side, consultant side, client side. What is it about like this moment in time that makes you excited to go back to the client side of things in healthcare marketing? Well, I've always been drawn, as you know, Jane, to working inside of a health system. I think that um, it, it just, to me, it, it really allows an opportunity for, for me to see, um, to not only you know, put together great ideas, but actually to, to see them in action and actually watch watch it work together. As an outsider, sometimes it's a little bit difficult. Um, I say to my friends, you know, uh, I can rattle the cages from the outside or I can rattle the cages from the inside. Uh, I, to me, I've always found it to be a little bit of a nice balance between the two, but going on the inside allows me to, um, and particularly in this opportunity, to pull together an idea, a vision, a team, and actually guide it through and see it through a very critical point, particularly as we're coming, I won't say we're coming out of the pandemic yet, but as we're coming through, you know, the hardships of what the pandemic has caused over the last 18 months in our health systems to really uh, see how this will play out in the real world. Because 
we are definitely embracing digital and digital health as like an opportunity for us. We are definitely looking at, um, you know, really restructuring the way we as a health system are reacting to our marketplace. And we're seeing new dynamic entrants in the marketplace that are, are non-traditional competitors that we have to be aware of. Um, uh, for me, it, it just seemed like a great opportunity to go back on the inside to really lead this work. I love it. You know, when I think about the moment in time, and 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 and, and I'll be interested in, in kind of your take on this, but 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 all the dimensions that you mentioned, the kind of forced change of consumer consumption of healthcare, particularly over the last twenty months, and mm-hmm. and that a lot of that change is here to stay. Consumer loyalty being so incredibly low, and and then yet this kind of wonderful moment in time where our trust quotient as healthcare organizations is higher than it has been in quite some time, maybe ever, and people are looking to us for the, the truth and clarity. And I wonder, you know, how, how does that influence your thinking about marketing and, and what it means for, for, for your organization, but, but maybe for all of us, for, for all healthcare organizations? I think uh, a, a really shorthand way to answer that question, Eric, and then I'll go a little bit deeper is that I think the term marketing is becoming passe for what we do. I don't think we're marketers anymore. I think what we are is we're engagement experts, right? Or we're, we're people that really are a voice of the customer, understanding the customer, advocating for the customer uh, within the work that we do. And so that really provides a great, um, a great uh, approach to maybe casting off some of the old uh, biases against marketing. Let's let's face it, right? In healthcare, sure. marketing often equates to advertising. Although we've been trying to advocate it to be a little bit more to like content and and engagement and things like that. Um, where I found in the many years I've been in digital is I work with organizations in many things that are not marketing related, right? They're more about how do we optimize the way people can get to the patient portal? How do we optimize the way they can make online appointment scheduling? Uh, The top key tasks of websites, for example, they're not related to, you know, traditional marketing things. They're more related to utility and and usability. And so I, I think that we're seeing marketing now kind of advancing and becoming much, much, uh, bigger and, and, and less siloed within an organization. And of course, with that comes a lot of responsibility, right? Because suddenly now we're engaged in conversations, we're doing things that marketers normally wouldn't do. If you would ask me, you know, uh, half a year ago, if I would be involved in patient vaccine communications, for example, that would be something that, you know, I would say, well, that's not traditionally what I do. You know, I do patient acquisition and I do this and maybe some branding work, but we've done some really interesting work at uh, Beth Israel Leahy Health, where I'm at, where we're able to use all these great channels, these digital channels to create a very effective way to reach out to our communities around vaccine communication. And then that went into vaccine hesitancy. And it's just really fascinating. I'm doing things that marketers don't normally do. So, to, you know, that's, I guess it's a long way to say, I, I think the term marketing is becoming passe for our roles. I think, it, yeah, because it's a wonderful, wonderful observation. So, so if you're going to supplant the term marketing, is it, is it engagement expertise? Like what's, how, how do we, how do we stay ahead of the, ahead of the, head of the trend here from a nomenclature standpoint? 
Yeah, I, I, I know the desire to want to put a name on it, right? Experience is interesting, but experience means so many different things to sure. different people within a health system. So you have to be careful about how you say that. Um, maybe uh, an advocate of our customers, right? Consumer right. advocacy. Consumerism seems kind of weird, right? But because consumerism is, you know, I, I actually... I've talked with Brian Gresh, we gave a presentation at some conferences about how healthcare consumerism really isn't consumerism. And so maybe that's not the right title. I'm really not sure the best way, but yeah. I think it, it's a combination of all of those things, Eric. Right, sure, sure. I definitely <laughs> not trying to, to paint you into the, yeah. on the nomenclature, but it's a great, it's a great set of questions. I Jane, I may be talking over you, but I, I wanted to, to to touch on you know the centerpiece of the change or a centerpiece of the change is is content. Right, yeah. and how, yeah. how we serve that that content up, and and you're speaking on kind of effective content at one of the upcoming conferences, HMPS. Like, that's right. Broad that's broad right. strokes. What's I mean, content's very near <laughs> to my heart. I'm, I'm right. yours too. What's your take on what's changing and where content is headed in this used to be marketing world? Right, right. I think that's a good question. First of all, I will say content can mean a lot of different things, right? So there is content in sort of the aspect of some of the things that we do where we create uh, good storytelling about our organizations. We maybe share uh, patient uh, testimonials or patient stories. Uh, content can also mean media and, and work that we do to try to get out into some of those, those channels. Content could mean um, in, important information about our services on our websites. Content could also be, you know, very much uh, the, the information about a doctor that a, a patient might need in order to make an appointment, some of those decisions, decisions that they make. So I really start to think about, I'm a, I'm a web guy, digital guy. I'm also by, you know, I had to have a degree in mathematics. So to me, it's all about formulas to me. And I, I really have been getting into this concept around schema and structured content as being a way to architect digital solutions where we can actually then leverage content in the right way. We talk a lot about create once, publish everywhere, you know, kind of federated content models. How do we get out there? But the way we're going to be able to do that and really automate it and really leverage all the digital tools, we have to take a page out of the books of, of you know, what some great content publishers in other industries have done. NPR, right? Create once, publish everywhere is not a con uh, content concept. That's a technology concept. And what it really is, is about creating structured content in a way that you can put it into one centralized place and federate it all out. Uh, more and more health systems too are moving towards this sort of these concepts around master data management. What is an enterprise look at all of our providers, for example? Or how about all of our patients? How do we pull all of our patient data together so we can do uh, analytics and make some understanding? We do it for pop health purposes. We do it to a certain uh, extent in marketing under CRM. So to me, structured content is very, very critical. Now overlay that with the fact that from a digital perspective, people are rarely going to our websites anymore. Well, that's not true, but I mean, they're, they're more of them are going to like Google and sure. other, other places. So that's why schema becomes an important part of this as well. Schema allows you to add the markup to your language, uh, to your content, I should say, so that it can then federate to all of these other places that are not even on your own 
channels. It could federate to uh, search engines. It could go into the Google Knowledge Panel. Um, and if you if you create if you look at the the what I call the three S's, right? SEO, schema, and and structured content. If you think about your technology stack as being the the pipelines to facilitate the content, your content has to be able to fit into the into the what you're building. And these are the sort of the design tenants I have around content. Does that make sense? Yeah, I love it. I totally agree. And it'll be interesting what all of that means for how we structure marketing teams, because I think content can no longer live separate from digital marketing or from analytics. So it'll it'll be really interesting to see where this goes. One thing I wanted to ask you about, Chris, that you had on a recent podcast was the idea of B2C and B2B marketing really integrating yeah. today. Um, and I think that impacts content strategy a lot because so often when we talk about SEO performance, you're not just engaging a consumer, nor are you just engaging a potential referring provider. Can you talk a little bit about what you're doing sure. in that regard? Sure. Well, let's think about in, in health systems, we have a lot of different audiences that we have to reach out to. And then we do it in a variety of different ways, right? Um, I, I, you know, we have obviously the patients and the potential patients and their family seekers, kind of those health seekers, right, that are out there looking for health information. I think a lot of times traditional marketing departments and communication departments think that that's our primary audience, right? Then you have your physician liaison or your physician outreach team that spends a lot of time creating content for, let's say, you know, the, the referring providers and, and uh, affiliated providers within your network. That's more of a B2B approach, if you think about that, a different type of audience. You also have people that are out there uh, engaging with managed care contracts, or maybe even doing B2B work where they actually have solutions that they're selling directly to businesses as care solutions. What that means for us, right, is that we have to think about these old frameworks of B2B and B2C and see, how are we doing those in, 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 uh, in, within a health system? A lot of times, Jane, what happens is, is that those are done by different people and the content created for those are done by different people. And it may very well be based on the same type of content. So, you know, this whole concept about structured content schema, it also applies to your audiences. You have to take another, not only a nuanced approach of like, how do we structure our content for the right channel, what's right for an email and a social media and website or whatever, but also how do we take the same content and is it relevant for this audience and this audience and this audience and this audience? And then rather than looking at these as separate different approaches to your content outreach, a B2B effort and a B2C effort, and maybe they're sometimes I've seen in organizations where they kind of lay them on top of each other and they show that they're, they're kind of like correlated, but not causal they're actually very causal, right? You, some of the activity you could do when you're reaching out to referring physicians could actually have a dramatic impact to the way consumers react to that content, particularly if they're going, if those patients are going to their primary care providers and asking for advice about where to go for a referral to a, to a source. So I see that the B2B and the B2C frameworks are converging as well um, in that we have to think of these all as multi-dimensional content strategies. When I think about the kind of convergence of that piece of the puzzle, when I think about the commentary that you make that resonates with me about the kind of shift from marketing towards all the things that it needs to be now, it gets me reflecting on what has historically been kind of two tracks in my mind around content focused on brand, 
content focused on growth. And one of the observations that I have is particularly in the last 24 months, maybe more, I've seen this kind of wonderful overlay of these two things, which is about, you know, helping consumers in this, in this example, connect with a conversion path when that's what they're ready for, but, but the kind of beautiful interconnectivity to the information seeking that provides a brand engagement opportunity. And I guess there's not really a question in there as much as an observation of kind of the interconnectivity of these trends around what we're seeing in our business from what's working in, in content marketing. Well, if you think about that, Eric, though, right, it paints a very complicated picture if you're a content marketer or a content person, right? Because now you're suddenly you're going, wait, I have to think about all the channels. I have to think about all the audiences. And now even the convergences, which I agree with, right, around branding and acquisition and, and a variety of other initiatives, all of these things are converging. And so where do you start, right? Sure. I think that's the obvious question because you, you could be lost by just like saying this, this is too hard of a concept to solve, right? It's like, how do we do all of this? I think we, we have to keep that all in mind, but we still have to stay focused on what are those key conversion funnels or those key efforts or initiatives that you're wanting to do. You can't solve it all, right? You can't, you'd be spreading the peanut butter way too thin if you did that and you wouldn't be effective at all. You still have to stay focused. You still have to pick what are those areas that are of highest priority to you and focus in on improving that maybe segment of that journey of that customer or that segment of what information is needed and optimize that before you could start to extend to others. But certainly keep in mind that yes, if you're doing something from a branding purpose, it could impact your patient acquisition efforts. It could also impact your uh, physician referral audience, right? If you, you, you have to think about all of those things, just be mindful of that, but still stay focused. Sure, sure. I think it's great advice. I think it's great advice. When when you think about the opportunity to focus, all this ocean to boil, let's talk about tools for, for just a sec. I mean, you mentioned a huge kind of array of tool sets that, that you mm -hmm. have um, at your disposal and leveraging. Any kind of insight for us on maybe what the biggest untapped opportunities are for the tools that we're already using or mm -hmm. kind of how to how to narrow the focus from a tool set standpoint to where you can make the biggest impact. Yeah, I think that that's a very germane question that you asked, Eric, because I'm actually going through that right now and developing our MarTech strategy, right? You're right. I mean, if you look at all the different tools and technologies available to a health system, it again, you can get lost, right? As a technologist, you're like, oh gosh, I'd love to have this. I'd love to have this. I'd love to have this. But what do you need to focus on the most, right? What's the most important thing? And I think it comes down to a couple of things, right? And this is my, this kind of guides my thinking. The first are, where are, uh, be mindful of all the different touch points in which uh, potential patients or potential audiences can, can interact with your organization. Spoiler alert, from a digital perspective, it's still your website. That's probably the most important thing for you to do, right? So make sure you're caring and feeding for your website and making sure you're thinking about and understanding and, and being able to, to track activity on your website because that's most important. I think the next thing that comes in to play is probably a most important tool for you to have is CRM. But I'm going to put that with little asterisks behind that because it's not CRM in the old school way of where you're creating campaigns and just driving people in for acquisition. CRM to actually start to understand your audiences, who you're interacting with. And CRM for many different audiences could take different shapes and forms. 
PRM, like as a physician relationship management, as opposed to a consumer relationship management. I'm even using the terms marketing CRM as opposed to enterprise-wide CRM because they serve different purposes. There are also CRMs that your call center can have or your access center can have. But all of these things are going to be important because what they ultimately are supposed to do is under, allow you to understand how your customer is interacting with you. Layer on top of that, a good analytics platform so you can actually pull the data out of your CRM tie it into your all of those touch points that people are, are interacting with. And that gives you a better understanding and landscape of how, how people, customers are interacting with all of your digital tools. From there, that gives you enough insight to be able to start to be creative and start to um, create digital experiences that actually make, um, that could delight people in certain ways aligned to your business goals. I mean, I think there's other things that are involved that are also very important. Um, organizations that are a little bit more uh, sophisticated, they're starting to look at like consumer data platforms, which allows you to get a better insight um, into your customers and, and, and the data around your customers to get a better information. Things that are not just tied to those things that you own, maybe even pulling data from third-party sources. Um, and then lastly, I would say that looking at where you're getting your content from, how do you structure that? So tying it into your existing systems. Uh, I mentioned patient portals like a potential example, right? Um, your CRM can maybe connect to that patient portal to get data out of it. Um, uh, a, a physician directory, a location directory, some of those things that are very useful, but other important data sources. I even, I've been talking a lot lately about form fills. Like where do you, when people fill out forms on your website, right? Which a lot, we're asking a lot of people to do to get content from them. Who owns that data? Where does that data go? And how do we use that data, right? It's not just available to the CRM. It now becomes very important for a variety of other things. I think if you if you keep your lens on your MarkTech stack and your tools and technologies around those, whatever's right for your organization, you that gives you the sense, gives you all the tools you need to start to build forward, right? Which is, I think, the important thing to do. I've got this question. I just can't get. I feel like I feel like you're going to have a really strong opinion about it, and I think that, that what you just shared is, is wonderful. And then I'm thinking about you know, with with full respect for the interdependence of all things, you've got this mathematics background and and formulaic perspective, and and you've got the kind of opportunity to delight customers. Like when you think about the continuum of creativity and structure. Like when, when it comes to marketing, like where, what, what's right? Like as a digital marketer, you know, I've often found myself contemplating the ceiling on this very question of which side of the ledger should we live on? And, and I, I know it's a black and white question, but. but. I think that's, the, I think that's the, the art of what we do, right? Is finding that right balance. We have to be creative. And what I mean by creative is, is less so about like being flashy and creating interesting videos. I think all that stuff's important. You need to understand what, you know, how to engage consumers. You need to be, you know, um, but, but really what it is, is, how do you understand your customers' needs more and creatively figure out a way to make that experience with them finding out what they need, when they need it, that much more delightful? That is the art of what quote-unquote marketing or whatever we're going to call it is going to be. I think that is the secret sauce. And I know there's some people that side more on the technology side and there's some people that side more on the creative side. I think the, the perfect blend is a mix of that. And I will say myself, um, you know, I tend to be more on the structured side of the house, the kind of the data infrastructure, but 
partnering with others in your organization to get there, I think that's the key. And not only others in your organization, but other partners that can help you because you can't do everything, right? So you have to figure out where your, your, your strengths are and you have to also find out where maybe your opportunities are and find those people that can help flesh that out for you the right way. And oh, there's one other aspect to it, right? You also have to be sort of a scientist in that you have to test and experiment. And if things don't work, be prepared to cut it loose. And if things work well, be prepared to do more of that. Sure, you know? sure. It's great, right? The intersection of art and science and not holding on too tight. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <Great>. exactly. <laughs> Funny. One, one other thing I wanted to ask you about, Chris, that I'm sure you'll have a strong opinion about too is personalization. I get asked about it every once in a while when we're talking about enterprise web strategies with clients and they say, you know, we're moving to a personalized web strategy and my blood pressure rises pretty quickly personally when I hear that, but I'm very curious about your, what your view is on whether it's worth it and adds value for consumers. Well, I will definitely say personalization in the purest concept is a good one, a noble one to go after. But I will say, Jane, that probably why your blood pressure rises in mine too when I hear it sometimes is because that's a word that's used to mean a lot of things. And, you know, I mean, you can't, you know, it's, it's not like you're going to suddenly create a website that when you log on, it's going to say, hey, welcome, Jane. Uh, thanks for visiting the General Hospital website. You know how, you know, and I noticed that you are interested in this, this, and this, and here's your content. That's not what we're talking about. I mean, we're never going to be Amazon level of personalization. By the way, Amazon setting the bar on personalization, right? They know everything you purchase. They know what you like. They they could they create experiences for you, and they always test on you. Um, you know, I think that that's that's interesting. We're never going to be there. Personalization is you have to think about it as a spectrum. I think that there is certain um, aspects of personalization that you can start to embrace on your website, starting even with like geo-specific information, right? And we've seen that, those annoying pop-ups that say, allow this site to track your location. And those are things that are designed to kind of help. Also, depending on like what you're clicking on, maybe using some, um, you know, analytics or, or even some predictive AI to say, oh, they clicked on these couple of things. I'm going to start dynamically serving up what I think is related to them in a sidebar through a component or a widget on your site and use that as testing to see if that works exactly, right? Another level of personalization is, I think that there is a certain level where people want to, um, they don't want to fill out the forms anymore, right? They want to be able to say, uh, you know, oh, I've been to your site before. I filled out a form for something. Is there a way you could keep that information and pull that in on my site. I think that makes sense. We have to balance that though with also privacy and you know all the concerns that people have around health systems. Again, Eric, you mentioned, right, there's a, there's a trust associated with us as a health system. I think people will be more forgiving. Um, and I also think that in different mediums, I, I, you know, I will say one, one area for huge personalization opportunities that I think health systems leave, most health systems are living on tap right now, Jane, the patient portal experience, right? That is one where you could personalize the heck out of it. And I don't see a lot of digital marketers working with our IT brethren in general. I know there are some that do that, but that's an opportunity where you could be hyper-personalized even. Um, I know this because um, I have the fortune, my wife works for Mayo Clinic and I'm part of the Mayo Clinic system. Their app is, which is tied to their patient portal, is highly customized to me and my unique health conditions, right? I like that in that experience. If I go to their website though, 
I'm not sure I'd like that. And that's probably where you're feeling that, that same kind of friction, right? Around this concept of personalization. Yeah, absolutely. It's good perspective. And I, I like the idea of thinking about where consumers actually want personalization and where they don't. And I think you're exactly right that patient portal is it and the website probably isn't. Yeah, some, but yeah, I would agree in general. Yeah. Go ahead, Eric. Well, I was just going to, I was going to go kind of one, one layer more, more tactical and, and kind of even, even closer to home for today. You know, you've got a really successful podcast platform, Chris, you've got a, a great podcast of your own. We're fortunate to have the Healthcare Insight podcast hosted uh, via, via Touchpoint. Tell us about kind of what's working well in that format and maybe some tips on hosting a great podcast and video series. Right. Uh, well, I, I'm not sure I could speak to hosting a great podcast. I could say I can give you <laughs> tips on how to host a regular podcast, right? Because that's something that uh, Reed and I have been doing for a number of years. One thing I will say is, and as the two of you have learned too, right? Podcasting is something that is a little bit of a different medium. Um, and it's designed for a certain type of audience. And in, in, uh, what I have found is that there are certain people that really, really enjoy consuming content through audio. I like it because prior when I was commuting and traveling, it was an easy thing to do while I'm sitting on a plane or driving to work and things like that. But it's still easy also to do when I'm out mowing the lawn or I'm working out or whatever, or going even for a walk sometimes, you know, just clear your mind. It's a great opportunity. I'm always a constant wanting to learn more. And I want to be able to select the elements and items that I, I like to um, I like to listen to that to me, I was, I was a natural podcast listener to begin with. There is a certain, a large segment of the human, of the U S population right now that are listening to podcasts on a regular basis, even though they're kind of still in pandemic mode, you know, maybe working from home, et cetera. I, you know, I know people that listen to podcasts in the background while they're working. Right. I mean, that's what they do. Um, so in terms of in terms of being able to use that medium as a way to reach people, I, I have a few bits of advice that I give to people if you're wanting to look at um, podcasting as a way to reach people. First of all, there is that adage of the riches is in the niches. Um, you have to be very specific. Don't be afraid to be specific about what you're trying to do. Pick a niche that's going to be interesting for you. That's going to be something that um, excites you. I talk about this stuff because it's curious. It's the way I learn. Uh, it's no surprise to me. I interview an expert every week because that's an opportunity for me to learn from someone new every week, mm -hmm. right? That to me is like the important thing. The other thing about it is, is that people, if you start a podcasting set uh, um, program, you can go one of two ways. You can either create one that's regular, that comes out quite regularly, maybe once a month or once every two weeks, some kind of regularity because then people know what to expect and they're looking forward to it. Or you can go the route of what Netflix has done for all of us, where you can create, you know, a series, like create eight episodes and release them all in once, right? Like, I think you can go one of two ways, but I will tell you, because the people listen to them in different ways as well, right? They, they, I've binged podcasts that are eight episodes long, because to me, it's a story. It has a start, middle and end. Um, I listen to shows like yours and mine um, and others. It's weird to say that I listen to my own podcast. I do want to edit it, but I don't, you know, it's not like I listen to it afterwards, but I listen to others um, because I just want to be, you know, get new information, sometimes get information that I wasn't aware of. I, I know I, I, I subscribe to some shows because it, they are regular and thematic and um, they might have something that week that I'm interested in. 
And also don't be afraid that if you're doing podcasts, your audience listenership may go up and down because people sometimes say, "Ah, you know, I'm not interested. I won't listen this week. That's okay too. Don't take it personally. It's sort of like a longer marathon if you're going to do that. So that's what I would recommend. Well, those are great, great pieces of perspective. You know, you, you touched on a little bit, but I am curious, you know, kind of end of two here. Like I was this super podcast consumer pre-pandemic and it was driven by a lot of travel and kind of a lot of singular time where I had my own headspace. A lot of that time went away. Have you, and you've got access to a ton of data. Do you, do you see a kind of general shift in how people are engaging the yes. podcast content that's out there? Well, surprisingly, we've actually seen a lift across all of our shows in terms of listenership. And I'm not sure what contributes to that. Again, I think that people are working at home, mm-hmm. but maybe they use podcasting as a way to escape or like, you know, find their own, like maybe they put their earbuds in and they listen to it for, you know, an hour in the morning or whatever. You know, I know I listen to my news podcast in the morning for a half an hour just to get my day started. That's part of what I do. Um, and in fact, my wife listens to it too. So I play it out loud, but you know, I may do it quietly over a cup of coffee. Um, I will also say that uh, people tend to listen more, which is surprising to me too. So we do an hour, about an hour long show. Um, and w- what we found is that more people are listening through to the very end. Mm-hmm. Um, now they're not doing it in one setting. Maybe they're doing it in short stints, right? So if you're creating a podcast, maybe break it up into natural segments where people can listen for 15 minutes and take a pause, et cetera, but they're listening all the way through. And I, again, it surprised me just like you, right? A surprise, but that's what we're finding. So one last question for me, you know, so many of us come to marketing from all kinds of different disciplines. Mm -hmm. I have to say, I think you're the first person that I've met that has come to marketing from mathematics specifically. Take us, <laughs> take us through the kind of rear view mirror of the, the kind of early Chris mathematician to modern Chris mathematician marketer. <laughs> well, yes, uh, mathematician, not only that, teacher. So that was an interesting thing. Um, but, you know, I, I kind of went from there to doing technical support. And the reason why is, as I was going into grad school, I wanted to have a job that kind of would support my grad school work. And so I took a job with Hewlett Packard as tech support. What I found in that work is um, the teaching and the technology kind of intersected nicely as a way for me to, uh, to become an educator um, and uh, in, in technology. So I became an actual technology trainer which was interesting enough in, in high tech. And then at a certain point, I crossed from high tech to healthcare. And part of that reason is, is because I also suffer from type one diabetes. I won't say suffer, I actually have type one diabetes, but um, I realized having a being an app consumer of healthcare, there was an opportunity to bring technology to healthcare about 15 years ago, 15 years ago now, keep that in mind. Yeah. Um, and then, so I was like, you know what? I'm gonna start to bring those concepts over to my experience with healthcare. Um, and that kind of tr- set me down this trajectory of, uh, I started to do first working for an organization that did consulting for marketing for hospitals. Um, and I brought in technology websites and social media at the time, you know, the infancy of social media. And then ev- eventually I uh, got asked to, by one of my clients to come work for them. That started my trajectory working for hospitals and health systems. And I don't think I've ever looked back after that that's great stuff. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. It's a, it makes 
perfect sense and, and what a kind of wonderful, it, it, it's always it's always great to hear stories from individuals about how how it all led to this and mm -hmm. and and it always does right like it's all right. culminated to this moment and thanks for thanks for sharing oh sure sure Chris yeah. Boyer thanks so much for joining the podcast well thank you for having me it's been a great conversation I really enjoyed talking to you and, and Jane today Eric it was it's a great conversation I always appreciate all the uh, the the things that you bring up in your show. It's very informative. I'm glad people are listening in and we're proud to have you on the network because it's another data source for me to listen. I'm an avid listener. So great stuff. We're proud to be there. Once again. Thank you. Thanks, Chris.